Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. This is The Breakfast Show, positively different radio in the morning and you are with Lyle and... Mon, good morning, Lyle. How are you this morning, yeah, Mon? good as gold. That's great. A little bit concerned about what the heck this is. Yeah. It looks, it looks like it could have been around for a while before I made it to the office. There is every possibility yeah, yeah. of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. no, it's all right. I think it's just my bank statement. It's funny how like... It's kind a, of a big bank statement. Well, You've I, been busy. Yeah, no, no. I ask them to only print out once every six months or once every year because I, yeah. I don't want no more paper. I've, I've asked my bank not to print mine at all. I actually thought I had two, so I'm a little bit surprised. I've asked them it. like five times. To- well, no, I shouldn't say that. My wife has asked them like five times. Yeah, don't, maybe five stuff. million just times. Email it to me. Yeah, and they just keep sending it. It's yeah, just like yeah. waste of paper. What yeah. do I, I? I never open the things. Yeah. I just I always look it online if I want right, to see it. Right, exactly. It's the dumbest like, thing. I have ever. no use for that. I have no filing system. To yeah, be honest, it just goes straight in. Yeah. Re- I don't even open it. Just put it in a recycling bin. Yeah, yes, of course I'm going to do with that. But yeah, I, I, it's funny. Like as an adult. Like, you get nervous whenever you have mail that has a window. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, you're like, ooh, mail. Then you see the window, you're like, no, not the window. <laughs> the window of death. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> see, it that's why I'm a little apprehensive. It's not a window to paradise. Defo not a. What are you grateful for this morning? I am grateful for letterboxing. Oh, yeah? Yes. You went letterboxing yesterday? Yes. How did it go? Great. What are you letterboxing for? Tell Good our, exercise. Um, oh, sunshine. Sunshine, yeah, yeah, fresh yeah. air, all that kind of thing. My, my wife had amazing experience with um, magpies. Oh, maybe I'll share that later. <laughs> was it really that amazing? Yeah, no, it was. <laughs> and uh, uh, But I'm letterboxing for the um, seminar that Lawson and I will be doing in Raymond Terrace Mission in a little over a week right now. We should tell the people about that again. I think it's been a while since yes. we caught them Prophetic up Yes, Prophetic Code seminar coming up. Um, so if you're in the Hunter, Newcastle, uh, Port Stephens area, anywhere within that uh, region, then please plan to come along and uh, you can meet the uh, the Breakfast Show crew there and we'll be presenting uh, the Prophetic Code series. It's just a series Very that exciting. I put together um, some years ago. And it's free. you just got to book yourself. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, right. Do come. Do Absolutely. Come. Anyway, we have a great show coming up for you today. This is a reminder. You are listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show and interact with Mon and myself for the breakfast show, then simply go to faithfm.com.au and press play or use the tune in radio app. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Anyway, this is Johnny Cash with Belshazzar. Well, the Bible tells us about a man who ruled Babylon and all its land. Around the city he built a wall and declared that Babylon would never fall. He had concubines and wives, he called his Babylon paradise. On his throne he drank and ate, but for Belshazzar it was getting late. For he was weighed in the balance and found wanting. His kingdom was divided, couldn't stand. He was weighed in the balance and found wanting. His houses were built upon the sand. Well, the people feasted and drank the wine and praised the false gods of his time. All holy things they scorned and mocked, but suddenly all their mocking stopped. For on the wall there appeared a hand, nothing else, there was no man. In blood the hand began to write, and Belshazzar couldn't hide his pride. 
For he was weighed in the balance and found wanting His kingdom was divided, couldn't stand He was weighed in the balance and found wanting His houses were built upon the sand Belshazzar tried but couldn't find A man who could give him peace of mind But Daniel the prophet, the man of God He saw the writing on the wall in blood Belshazzar asked him what it said And Daniel turned to the wall and read My friend, you're weighed in the balance and found wanting Your kingdom is divided, it can't stand You're weighed in the balance and found wanting Your houses are built upon the sand. That was Johnny Cash with Belshazzar. You listen to Faith FM. We are about to have another clue for our... Are we going to continue no, the quiz clue we for... started yesterday? Yeah, we could do. Okay. Just, just, just run, run through the ones okay. that we, we okay. covered already. Maybe I can just restart them. We've only got like two or so. Here's a clue. Oh, goodness. Artificial intelligence. Well, you just gave it away. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. You need to stop. <laughs> you need to stop with this whole, like, I got clues too. I'm the quiz master here, Lyle. I forbid you. Ah, too From late. From now on, you have to run your clues by me before we go live on air, right? Too late. New policy. <coughs> okay, what city am I? Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until all who lived in this city were destroyed. So Joshua mm-hmm. had it in for this city. He was mm-hmm. like, this city is gonzo. Mm-hmm. We're done with this city. Yep. Yep. Give us a call. 1-800-FAITH-FM. 1-800-324-843 is the number. Uh, text 0491-064669. Please don't <coughs> text and drive. Just pull over. The prize is worth pulling over. So do ahead. Go ahead and do that. Absolutely. Okay. So Mon, what have we got in positively different news this morning? <laughs> I go family. Uh, from England, who are like my heroes right now. <laughs> I'm so impressed with this. So they want. I think a lot of people want to do the right thing when it comes to their waste. Um, you know, they want to. They want to be green, but sometimes it's just too confusing. And I completely agree with them. Oh, that kind of waste. Yeah, yeah, no, no, not. Yeah, Lyle. <laughs> um, All it worked. What your com- your sentence worked. Right, it's true. It's, I confess it did. But they want to recycle. They want to do the right thing with their rubbish. Yes. And um, and I do the same. I also want to. But some, like sometimes it's even a stretch for me to remember which color bin lid does what. Because for someone like me who has moved around a lot, councils change them all the time. I know. And I it's know. really confusing. Every it's single bizarre. time I go to the bin to put something. I actually try and avoid taking the rubbish out because when I get out there and I you look. you got to ride on it. Yeah, Which something. Is. Why because, do I mean, they do that? It's Why the is the dumbest this- thing ever in Sydney? Your dark green bin was general. Um, was, was general rubbish, and your green bin, which makes sense, mm-hmm. your bright green one, was for recycling. Here is the complete opposite. Yeah, and then there's and the then all one, of my neighbours they have different one. coloured bins anyway. Yeah, and there's a red and the yellow. Sometimes there's a blue. Like it, it's it's crazy, and like. So, yeah, you just write on the top with black texture and then problem solved. Yeah, but the thing is, I often don't live in the houses that I live in for that long and they're not my bins. Doesn't matter. But, um, but yeah, I should do bin. But it's even then, I, I still have to Google, like, you know, Someone's for my gonna, own Someone's not going to complain about your writing on the top of their wheelie bin. I, I think they need to actually, when they make the wheelie bin, 
when they make the lid, whatever color, it needs to actually say what it's supposed to go in there because color coordination actually doesn't work in this situation. It's pretty and it's a good idea, but in reality, There's some words, words yeah, some words would be great. Words are great. Yep. So I actually, and often when Fantastic I get out there and I spend ages just staring at them, trying to figure it out, and then I actually just get frustrated and I open whichever one looks emptiest and chuck it in there. I'm like, okay, too bad. I tried. <laughs> but um, anyway, and, and I think a lot of people might be in the same, in the same. And the other, this is the other thing, right? I used to work a while ago at a um, business. Um, which was generating, you know, because businesses generate quite a bit of waste and quite a bit of recyclable waste, right? And, um, and they wanted to be more eco-friendly. They had the capacity to be more eco-friendly in terms of, you know, they were all, all the staff were happy to get behind it. The issue was it was way too expensive. It was way too expensive for them to actually recycle any of their stuff. For them to separate, they could, they're all happy to separate their, their, their rubbish, but for the, actually to send it to the right place was more than the business could, could cope. So we need to look at our, <coughs> we need to look at our rubbish as being like ore. Mm, oh, okay. Yep. Because, it's and we just, and, and it's mineable mm-hmm. because there's money in it. They, they estimate they were wasting, what, $300 million here in Australia of, potential uh, recyclable material, something along those lines? If there ever was an area where the government needs to make it as simple and as cheap for people to do as possible, recycling should be it. But And the crazy thing is because our bins, because recycling is so confusing in this country and we don't do a good job of it, mm-hmm. Asia won't even take our recycling anymore. Exactly. They're like, no, it's too mixed up. It's all jumbled together and we're not going to touch it. Yeah. And so we end up putting it into, you know, Victoria down there. They're just putting it straight into landfill. Yeah. Which is just such a waste of it. It was a waste to begin so with. Why did we separate it in the first place? Well, Lyle, mm-hmm. there's a couple that was so fed up by the complex waste rules that they built their own free recycling center in their own driveway. Okay. They were like, no, nah, we're done. Here's a picture of it. You can see it's, it looks like a, it's a long wooden sort of cabin thing <laughs> with holes in it. Yes, it looks and like a uh, big, 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 big birds. Uh, bird nest, like colony. Bird, 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 um, colony of birdhouses. Yeah, and uh, and so each of the little birdhouses has like the cir- circle where you can push things through. And then above it, it has um, signs with, with detailed information about what it is you can and can't do. So this is Hannah and Danny Iwanojako. I think they might be Polish. Um, and they finally had enough of the council, community council's rubbish green waste procedures. They declared themselves eco-warriors <laughs> in multiple senses and, uh, and took it upon themselves to set this up literally right in their driveway. So this is, they're, they're in England. Um, they built their first green waste hub out of recycled wood and metal. Um, and they only started this last month. But since then, they've almost saved 2,000 pounds. I should translate that into kilos. 2,000 pounds of recyclable waste and materials from ending up in a landfill. And that's in like less than a month. Yeah. Less than a month. Um, so the, and they, opened, it they opened it up to the to their neighbourhood. They said anyone can come and do this, which is amazing. So they accept all manner of items, including um, chip packets, you know, because like, no one ever recycles <sighs> chip packets um, and cracker packets because you're always like, is this or isn't this recyclable? I'm not sure. And so you end up chucking it. Like, you know, when you have a bag of like, you know, Doritos. Yeah, I have no idea. I've always just chucked that. They also accept contact lenses, uh, Tetra Pak packaging, coffee pods, and baby food pouches. Um, so Hannah then drives the waste to specialised recycling sites that within a, that are within a ten mile radius of their home in Billshop, Nottinghamshire. Um, and from there, the materials are turned into small plastic pellets that can be used to make items such as outdoor furniture, trays, roofing, and flooring. 
That is cool. That's very cool. And the, and because they have enough by then, like they have enough to warrant the drive and an actual like donation to one of these places, it makes the whole thing worthwhile. Um, so much of the processing is handled by TerraCycle, which is a recycling company that focuses on hard to recycle items. This is great. Companies like this should be given every help they can, they, they, if possible to make them um, uh, as widespread as possible because hard to recycle items, you know, it's possible to do them, but we just need to figure out. Yeah, there's kind of little things like your, uh, you know, a couple of AAA batteries. Right. Terrible thing to throw into landfill. Yeah. But what are you going to do? You're going to drive with two AAA batteries that have just gone flat. And you're going to drive to a battery recycling facility? No, you're going to throw them into landfill. Exactly, exactly. So this is great because what, what Hannah and Danny have done is they've collected, like, on, I guess sort of, a little bit bigger than a micro level, so bigger than just one household. They've done like their own neighbourhood, which means they now have enough batteries to, to make it worthwhile. Exactly. So this is great. This should be, this should be duplicated. What they've done here, um, they actually came up with the idea after watching the BBC's Planet Earth series. And the Planet Earth series is a beautiful. Have you seen it? It's be- just gorgeous. And when you watch these kind of documentaries that show the beauty of the planet, and you realise, you know, what it is we we stand to lose, you do kind of get inspired. Um, and she said, you know, the moment I decided to do something myself was on my daughter's first birthday in August. I saw what was going on in the Amazon and the war on plastic um, in the nature programs, and I thought, hang on a second, I can do my bit. I need a central point where people can easily recycle. Which is exactly what I can do and if my every bit. does if everyone does their bit, that's what yeah. it all comes down to. Just yeah. everybody doing their bit. And she has not only decided to do her bit, she's facilitated her whole community to do their bit as well. Which is really cool. And and like she said that the one of the things that really makes them happy is how much the kids in the neighborhood love coming over to their house and sticking things through the holes in the bird. In the, in the <laughs> and like to them, it's like, you know, it's a bit of fun because they, they, you know, they don't, they don't just go outside and shove stuff in a, in a bin out the back of their own home. They get to go like down the street or around the corner, um, to, you know, their mate's house and, and, and stick things through the little holes in the wall. Like it's really cool. Um, she said the problem with the council was that there was no consistency across the council. One council says you can recycle this and this and this. And the other recycle says you can't recycle those. And it was really frustrating and no one seemed to know what was going on. And that's true as well. Oh, absolutely. It's so true. I don't understand why one neighborhood, like you live in one place and they're like, oh, yes, we accept this. And the next neighborhood says, no, no, what are you doing? Don't put that in here. And you're like, I don't understand. Why I, I just I just check stuff and if it's got that little recycling triangle on it, it goes in the recycling bin. Yeah. I yeah. have no idea what it gets used for or whether it gets used or whether we even have the capacity to recycle it in this country. But if it's got that symbol on it, it's like, well, you know, there's something in there that's worth something. Well, she said she tried to figure it out because um, her council wouldn't take Tetra crisp packets and bread bags. And, uh, and she said the council's not making it easier. There is so much bureaucracy and red tape in the way. And I was like, why would there be bureaucracy and red tape in the way it's of recycling? It's rubbish for goodness sake. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised. I was like, why would that be involved? Just everyone should be behind this. Anyway, have a little think. Do your bit. Can you help other people do their bit as well? This is Dolly Parton with the Master's Hand. In the days before the flood, the world grew wicked and corrupt. But Noah was a good man, and the Lord unto him came. He said to Noah, go build an ark. Noah did, and the sky got dark, and a great flood destroyed everything. Except for Noah and his wife, and their three sons and their wives, and a pair of every kind of creature walking in the land. 
people mocked and they made fun, but old Noah worked till it was done, cause he was holding to the master's hand. The master's hand is always held out to us, and it will lead us to the promised land, and the evil of this world cannot Smothered by the master's hand. The Hebrew children loved their God, and with them in the flames he tried to show the world that he was king and ruler over man. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had no fear of the fiery coals, cause they were holding to the master's hand. The master's hand is always held up to Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Dolly Parton with The Master's Hand here on Faith FM and yeah, all kinds of things happening uh, this morning. Um, Mon, you want to give us another clue for our quiz? Yes. Clue number two, what city am I? Joshua sent men to spy out this city. Okay. Mm. What city might that be? If you mm. know the answer, then... 100 Faith uh, FM. You can... Uh, give us a call. Give us a call. Yes. Yep. Speaking of giving us a call, mm-hmm. we have a caller on the line right now. Okay. Who have we got? Who's okay? So we have somebody on the phone. Mystery man. I actually didn't me. catch your name. How are you? Uh, me, Gary. Oh, hey, Gary. How's it going? Hello. Gary was Hello. calling in to tell us. Um, I didn't know this, Gary, but sh- share with our audience what you just shared with me. Oh, with a, a recycling in, in uh, Coles and Woolworths, they've got like a, a recycle bin for all your plastic and soft um, bags and chip packets and whatnot. I didn't well, there you go. That. I've That's never really heard cool. of such a thing. So you can actually collect up all your chip packets and your junk food packets, right? And then when you go do your grocery shop, you just take them with you and you drop them off on your way in. I didn't know that. Whereabouts? Whereabouts do you find that? They're usually at the entrance of the, the, the supermarkets, and there's one, um, one one of the, that, those shops that I go to occasionally. They don't have a, a bin out the front. You just ask the staff, and they'll put it in, the, in their bin out the back, usually. So. Good on them. Yeah. yeah. That's one good thing that Woolworths is doing. Okay, you're going to have to look into that. that. Where, where, whereabouts are you located, Gary? I'm in South Australia. Okay. And Gary was also telling me yeah. that because um, he lives with some immigrants who are new to Australia who don't quite understand um, how Australians love to recycle, and so he's been teaching them how to recycle as well, which is important because we do have a – like Australia is such a melting pot of cultures, and we have a lot of people coming here from other places. We do need to be, um, I guess – quite motivated to help people understand that it is important that we do need to do it. Yeah, absolutely. 
Okay, so there you go. There you that uh, coals and woolies. If uh, just if you can't find that bin for uh, your chip packets and so forth, then give ask them and find out what's going on and see if we can let's see if we can get this thing happening. I wonder if there's any other businesses that are helping people recycle. Like just I don't know. Can you go to like an electronic store and they're accepting batteries? That'd be really cool. That would be a good thing. That would be a good initiative for them uh, to do. Yeah, actually, I'm still online, aren't I? Um, yep. Yeah, I think Audi, Audi, some Audi stores take batteries. They've got like a little. A little bin, and it looks like a battery. Um, um, oh, and, yeah, that's so really I, cool. I, I don't, I don't go to Audi very often. It's not my regular shop, um, but I know the Audi because I know it was one I was going to in Melbourne before I moved back to South Australia. Um, they they didn't, but then some, some others did. So it depends on the store. Um, it'd be really, yes. it'd be really great if uh, if these businesses could get together and just make like a um a sort of you know a list of places. That you know you can go to and stick on like you know how you get those those fridge magnets in the mail telling you when the council rubbish collection's coming through. They should have a list saying this is all your local recycling places, whether it's a business or whatever it is. Yeah, just so we know where stuff was. We need to move on with the uh, show this morning. But thank you, Gary, for uh, calling through. Um, always good to hear from our listeners and to hear more about uh, recycling. Uh, we have here a story that is coming out of uh, Los Angeles where uh, the Los Angeles um, city has banned people from living in their or sleeping in their cars on residential streets or anywhere within um, a block of parks, schools, preschools, daycares, etc. And in response to that, a Jewish synagogue has opened up its car park and said, hey, come and sleep. If you need to sleep in your car, sleep in our car park. Amen. And so basically you've got a you've got various levels of homelessness yeah. and we often just focus on the homeless people who are sleeping on park benches and under bridges. That's right. Which is the bottom level of homelessness, but there is a level between there which is people who are um you know sleeping in their cars. The majority of these are people that um <clears throat> well in the United States uh, one of the biggest reasons is medical expenses. Um, that they've been, they've lost their housing over, but you know people that have also you know rent pressure, they've lost their job, they've been divorced, whatever it might be, and they, uh, you know, these kind of things happen in our world, and people find themselves on hard times, and so the it's a better it's a better option to sleep in your car than it is to obviously sleep um, rough on the ground somewhere, and so a lot of people are in that sort of transitional place. Um, the city of LA stepped in and said, no, you can't do that. And so the synagogue said, well, we've got private land here and nobody can stop us from doing what we want on our private land. It's a bit weird that they, you're allowed to sleep under a bridge, but you can't sleep in your car on the street. <laughs> yeah, well, don't, Actually, don't, do, even, don't even <laughs> ask me to explain It's funny this. that you should bring this up, Lyle, because just last night I was having a chat with my housemate and they said there's some sort of like um, uh, just community-driven program where people are listing their homes somewhere online. Um, for, for people who are living in their cars to go access and um, they can look up an address and see there's a car, there's a car park they can go park their car in. Okay, that's a really cool idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that idea. And that's happening here in, here in, in New South Wales. I, I'm going to do some research on that and find out what's going on. In New South Wales, New South Wales is one of the best states because in New South because Wales... Because we're here. That's right. <laughs> absolutely. Um, <clears throat> all you other states are losing. No, that's not... <laughs> <laughs> no, but... Uh, New South Wales has a, um, uh, a a policy of encouraging people to stop, revive, survive. Yeah. And because of that, you are allowed to stop on the side of the road and sleep mm-hmm. because they don't want you to be driving, particularly on a road trip, when you are fatigued. It's the equivalent of driving high-range drink driving. Wow. Okay. 
Um, and it's, you know, it's, 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 it causes a third of all road fatalities is fatigue. And so, uh, because of that, we have legislation that says that you can sleep for up to 24 hours in your car on the side of the road. Wow. Because that's great. Yeah, yeah. I've done that before. Um, <clears throat> of course, I just did a trip uh, through the outback. We went through New South Wales, South Australia, Northern Territory. We were thinking of going to Western Australia, and you can actually. We, we slept. You know, we, we never paid for uh, accommodation once. We we bush camped the whole time, uh, and so that means that you're sleeping in the bush or on the side of the road or somewhere or other. And obviously, being in the outback, nobody's too worried about it. But it's actually illegal. I didn't know that. Yeah. That might um, get in the way of my van life plans. Yeah, well, no, there's uh, there's definitely ways around it. But, yeah, this is something that is taking place and they are working with an organisation, a non-profit organisation called Safe Parking LA. Okay. Safe Parking LA has uh, set up a system where you can, you know, op- it's, it's a not-for-profit where you can, you know, opt in and they have a system where they provide a security guard, toilet facilities for private properties that are providing parking for people who are sleeping in their cars. And um, and this particular synagogue is actually the second congregation to be involved. It was set up in 2016, and they expected to have a flood of churches wanting to help out the uh, the poor and the homeless. But yeah, they've been a little bit slow coming on board. Oh, really? So it's nice to see a synagogue over there jumping in and and uh, and, and 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 getting um, <coughs> and getting on with this. They already have a uh, waiting list. Um, and they have space for 10 cars there and people lining up to take advantage of the accommodation. It's kind, of like, it's kind of like emergency accommodation. Yeah, yeah. In fact, it's better than emergency accommodation because it's people taking responsibility for their own accommodation rather than just rocking up and saying, hey, um, give me a roof. I wonder if they park the cars directly next to each other or whether or not they have like a little radius. Yeah, I don't know. What's interesting in LA is that they banned people from parking on residential streets, and so now you've got people uh, parking cars and sort of setting up on the side of the freeways, you know, in the breakdown lane. Oh, okay, yep, yep, yep. Um, And, of course, you know, that doesn't is not conducive to a good night's sleep. No, no, not at all. uh, Or conducive to the breakdown lane being used what it's there for as a breakdown lane to stop congestion. But, um, yeah, but <coughs> needless to say, this is, um, this is part of the world in which we live and it's good to see people who are getting out there and making their, their places is, available. It is great to see, um, to see a religion actually putting their... Yep. Yeah, putting their and twice a month they have a dinner party for everybody in their car park. Oh, beautiful. Love or it. once a fortnight. They say twice a month in the States. They're gonna, once yeah, a they fortnight. Do. They don't really use the word fortnight. <laughs> no, they've never heard it before. Um, but it, it's yeah, it's good to see. and I wonder whether or not it's going to end up creating like its own sort of micro community there within itself. Oh yeah, I'm sure yeah, it will. Yeah. Anyway, um, still in the US, they are um, about to ban e-cigarettes. Uh, the oh non, the really? Non, the non-nicotine ones. Um, this is following a surge of in, in teen vaping, where you've got five million children and eight million adults who are currently vaping, 450 cases of lung disease and five deaths as a result of vaping, and the FDA has stepped in and they've said, no, this is actually a dangerous product, and they are banning it. Praise the Lord. Yeah, I'm actually very surprised that they ban that and not cigarettes, which are worse, but hey... Everything that improves the health of our community is a step in the right direction. And especially our kids. And especially our kids. We need to get the message out there to our children that um, this is not a safe pastime because that's the way it's been marketed. You know, mm-hmm. Smoking is not safe. This is safe. Mm-hmm. And it's being pushed by the uh, cigarette companies. They're the ones who are into vaping. Anyway, 
Caitlin Clampett with Love Lifted Me.
Welcome back, everybody. That was Caitlin Clampett with Love Lifted Me here on Faith FM. Mon, give us another clue for our quiz before we go to our interview of the day. Right, so it's What City Am I quiz. This is the... Is this the second or the third quiz? Clue. Did we actually um, skip last time? Yeah, maybe. Let me give you two clues at once. Let right. me be generous. What city am I? Joshua sent men to spy out this city. And also, this city was the site of the Israelites' second conflict in Canaan under the leadership of Joshua. Mm. If you know what city that is, give me a call, 1-800-FAITH-FM, 1-800-324-843. You can win the prize this morning or some bragging rights. If you just want to have a brag about it, give us a call. Tell us if you think you know the answer. Or you can text us through on 0491-064-669. Joining us on the phone this morning is Pastor David Asherick, who pastors the Kingscliff Church uh, here in New South Wales, up near uh, the Queensland border there. David, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much, Lyle. What if I know the uh, answer to the question that you just asked? Then you just have to sit tight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think you probably do know the answer to that one, but uh, unfortunately, people who are involved in the show... Don't get um, prizes. Yeah, don't get prizes. So um. You can text it through, and we can tell you whether or not you're all right, but you can't say it on air because you're just going to spoil it for everyone. And you okay, don't want to okay. be a killjoy at this hour of the morning, do you now? <laughs> no, no, fair point, fair point. <laughs> David, you were recently quoted in Newsweek um, magazine in the United States, which of course is a uh, it's it's a it's a major you know news magazine. Uh, we, we know about it around the world. That's a that's a that's a pretty big event. How how did you come to be being uh, quoted and your material online being recommended by Newsweek magazine? Uh, it's a great question. Um, funnily enough, I didn't know uh, that it had happened until after the event. Um, somebody contacted me and said, hey, do you know that you're quoted in Newsweek magazine? And I was like, I had no idea. But the story is basically on July 11th, um, what, just a couple months ago, or maybe not even, a friend of mine, Heather Thompson Day, who's a communications professor at Andrews University in Michigan, had written an article. She's written a number of uh, pieces, opinion pieces for Newsweek magazine. And she wrote an article titled, Evangelicals, Evangelical Christians are less likely to welcome refugees than non-believers. How did we think so low? Wow. And it was an opinion piece. And in the course of uh, that opinion piece, she quoted um, uh, me in one of my sermons titled, uh, uh, Five Good Reasons Not to Be Religious. And uh, so that's how it came to be, and I was as surprised as uh, anybody. Okay, so um, <clears throat> I know what the Newsweek article uh, is about because obviously it's not hard to jump online and uh, you, know, you simply you know type in evangelicals are less likely to welcome refugees and it pops straight up. Uh, that right. article there by Heather Thompson. She has some rather confronting statistics in here. And yes. I'd like to get your thoughts on these statistics, uh, if we could. She talks about how 65% of those who claimed no religious affiliation uh, said they felt that the U.S. had a responsibility to take care of those who were displaced by war and violence. Okay, that's a, uh, a significant percentage. But then she goes on to point out that only 25% of white evangelicals felt mm. a responsibility towards those who were displaced. Now, David, the modern country of, you know, the modern nation of the United States, you're, you're from the United States. You know the history of this country. How was it formed? It was formed by displaced people. Isn't that so? 
No, you're exactly right. And I can tell you as somebody who's an American who's lived in Australia for the last six years, when I travel back to America, which I've just done very recently and uh, leave again on Sunday um, for America, the, it, the country is more polarized and more fragmented than I can ever remember it being. I'm 47 years old, and it's, it's frankly a startling thing to go back to the United States now as someone who's lived outside of the U.S. for the last six years, it, it frankly is, and I don't think I'm exaggerating here, it feels like a different country. The polarization is incredible, and this article by uh, Heather Thompson Day really teases out this just radical division that's right down the middle of the United States about what sort of our responsibilities are relative to the world that is rife with suffering and pain and displacement. Right now, Lyle, I don't know if you know this or not, but a full 1% of the Earth's population qualify for uh, refugee status or uh, migrant status, basically. 1%. Uh, 1% of the Earth's population. 70 million people, more than, are presently displaced from their ancestral or native homeland. It's incredible. And I think that it's significant that within this, when this, within this article here, within this, the, the research that was taken place, we're not talking about criminals... We're not talking about, you know, illegal immigrants. We're talking about refugees, people who have been displaced by war, by violence, by, you know, and, and, you know, I've spent a significant amount of time living in the United States. My favorite American festival, which I have imported to this country and promote, you know, far and (laughs) wide and regularly, is Thanksgiving. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, I love Thanksgiving. It's just the best. It's like, why doesn't every country have Thanksgiving? But Thanksgiving is, is a celebration of one country accepting the displaced persons of another country and helping them to survive. That's what it's all about. Well, I, no, I think you're exactly right. And one of the things that has been historically at the heart of the United States, and no one would deny that the United States, like all nations, has a bit of a checkered history. Um, but the United States, at least in theory or in principle, stands for these, these great eternal values of liberty and justice and freedom. And concomitant with that is the idea of welcoming people into your country who share those same basic values. And so when Heather Thompson Day wrote her article and basically said, yeah, of, you know, 68% of non-religiously affiliated people say we should welcome these people, you know, in responsible ways. And then only 25% of white evangelicals say that we have any sort of a national responsibility. It's, it's troubling. And the reason that it's so troubling is not just Lyle because the United States has at least ostensibly, uh, this, this, these values of liberty and freedom and welcoming the, the poor. You know, the Statue of Liberty, of course, Ellis Island is all about this very idea of welcoming the disenfranchised, the displaced, the refugee. But, and this is the point that Thompson brings out, it's really the the substrate of scripture. It boils down to welcoming the disenfranchised, those that are on the fringes. I mean, this is, and my, my favorite part of the whole article is where she actually quotes from uh, Deuteronomy, basically saying that if, if, telling the people of God, if they don't welcome the foreigner... Um, that they would become cursed. And this is something that the United States and Israel have in common with each other. The ancient nation of Israel was made up of people who were displaced and who were fleeing from persecution. The modern nation of the United States is is made up of people who were displaced and fleeing from persecution. 
Both of these countries have a, a similar history in that respect, uh, and, 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 and there's a biblical mandate here. How is it, what, what has gone on in, in evangelical Christianity in the United States that it has come to this? Well, it's a great question. My, I can give a theological response, and then I can give a bit of a sociological response. So I'll start with a theological response. The, the, the premise of the sermon that I preach that uh, Heather quotes, Five Good Reasons Not to Be Religious, is that the Bible actually describes that religion at the end of time will be something to be increasingly wary of that religion and religious people uh, may or may not be representing the God that they proclaim or, or purport to be representing. And this is actually reaches its sort of climax in the book of Revelation, where this clarion call comes uh, from an angel, and it says, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Now, if you read into the text here, and I know you're very familiar with this, Lyle, but your listeners might not be, what's being described here is the fall of religion, fallen religion of all stripes and colors, including, but not limited to, so-called Christian religion. And so I think what we're seeing is a theological departure from the very fabric of what Scripture stood for in the beginning. And I love your point, that the Israelites themselves were a displaced and persecuted people. That's their, that's their ongoing history, right? And so when, when evangelicals in America, and particularly white evangelicals, are basically wanting to protect Let's be honest here. Their standard of living, their comfort, their lifestyle, uh, then we have radically departed from the scriptures that describe a God who gave up everything and hung on a Roman instrument of torture to extend a welcome invitation to anybody and everybody. Do you think that this uh, greed by uh, evangelical Christians in the United States is being driven by the prosperity gospel to some extent? Oh, certainly, certainly. I mean, the idea, the idea is that Christianity is, is increasingly not about what you can give, but about what you can get. And again, I use Christianity in air quotes here. That's not scriptural. Uh, that's not biblical. We're not talking about an authentic Christianity here. But Christianity as a cultural phenomenon, as, as you're describing with this prosperity gospel, is about what can God get me? What can I get out of the transaction? where if you read the tenor of Scripture, the whole point is about giving, is about ministering, it's about extending yourself in self-sacrificial ways, and sometimes unsafe ways. I mean, let's be honest, nobody would say that, that, that Jesus hanging on the cross was a calculated move, that it was a safe move. I mean, if ever there was a risky rescue operation, it certainly would be the operation that hinges on the protagonist, in this case, God in the flesh, Jesus, hanging on a Roman instrument of torture. I mean, it's, it's, uh, we should be extending ourselves in sometimes risky ways uh, for the benefit, blessing, and salvation of others, not protecting our own little empire and kingdom here on earth with our new boat, new car, air-conditioned home. Not that there's anything wrong with those things in and of themselves, but when creature comforts become more important than people who don't even have not only do they not have air conditioning units or boats or cars, they don't even have a place to lay their head. Then the world is radically upside down. And this is not the world that was envisioned by the founders of the Christian church. Certainly not Jesus, not Paul, not Peter. In fact, if you go back and read in, in some of the early Christian documents in scripture, one of the, the things that was really pressed upon Paul by Peter, this is in the book of Galatians. He says, whatever you do when you're preaching the gospel, 
don't forget the poor. Don't mm. forget the poor. And that seems to be the very thing that's taking place right now in much of affluent, middle and upper middle class, white evangelicalism. The sermon that you that, that is quoted from is uh, <clears throat> Five Good Reasons Not to Be Religious. Um, could you take us through that, just very briefly through, through those five uh, five reasons? <laughs> I was that... afraid you would ask me that. <laughs> I was really hoping I was you would ask. you would ask me that. <laughs> yeah, because I think well, you preached this sermon like a long time ago. It's been it's been up there on YouTube for a fair while, if 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 I remember correctly. You've, you've got it. Well, I can tell you. So, so basically, I can remember the, the thrust of it. I don't remember the exact you know sort of numeration of the of the uh, five points. But how long how long has of... this been floating around on YouTube for? Do you do you, do you oh, remember? Quite a little while. I mean, it's been quite a little while. But in fairness, I think the one that Heather Thompson is quoting in her article is a, is a more recent one that I've just preached um, in the last like year and has been up as a podcast. So it could be the more recent version. But the short version is, you know, that number one, religion doesn't save. Number two, religious people, those that were the most devoutly religious were the ones that were responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus. Um, number three, religion is often a very good place to either deceive ourselves or to create despair. And religion is despair-inducing. Religion without a saving, forgiving, merciful God actually ends in either self-deception, where we convince ourselves that we're something that we're actually not, or despair, where we give up and say, I can never attain to that high standard. And then uh, one of them I've already mentioned, one of the five reasons is that the Bible actually describes that religion wholesale will be fallen at the end of time, that it will have so radically departed from its original intent that it will be virtually unrecognizable from the, the faith that was established by Jesus, speaking of Christian religion. So those are at least four of the five, and I just can't remember the fifth one. Sure. <laughs> no worries. Hey, David, it's been fantastic having you on the show this morning. Uh, thank you for joining us and sharing with us uh, a number of uh, good reasons not to be religious, but going along with that, a lot of good reasons to be Christian and to be uh, united with Jesus Christ. Brilliant. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Anytime. That was uh, Pastor David Asherick, and you can find a lot of his uh, material online. Simply uh, do a bit of a David Asherick search on YouTube, and you will find uh, all kinds of uh, sermons and materials uh, coming up there. He is also the pastor of the Kingscliff uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church in northern New South Wales. That's just up near uh, Tweed Heads, near the Queensland border there. So if you're in that re- region, uh, look it up and pop along to Kingscliff Church. We're moving on with the show. We have Bifrost Arts with Rise Up. You're listening to Faith FM. For the lonely and forgotten For the weary and distressed For the refugee and While insulted and despised 
Listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. If what God has already done isn't enough for you, nothing's going to be enough for you. Because it's meant to be real, and real life stories have baggage. We know that Peter's a loose cannon. It's all about context. And he chose different personalities to express that because his personality is infinite. If it's a love song written to us, when we're at our lowest points, we've got backup. Like a lot of the rational arguments for the existence of God, they tend to work better after you believe. Hi, this is Luke from oztabletalk.com.au. Please join myself and some of my closest friends as we explore our faith through conversation, Bible study, interviews, and more. You can find us online at oztabletalk.com.au. That's oz as in Australia, A-U-S, tabletalk.com.au. Looking forward to seeing you there. Bye. I'm so glad that's recorded because I want to write that down. Yeah. <laughs> Someone called it the care package there. <laughs> wow. <laughs>
Happy Hearts is a free community craft program for kids aged 1 to 5, designed to encourage growth and creativity through Bible stories. Join us each Tuesday during the school term from 9.30 till 11am at the Senior Citizens Hall, 401 Warburton Highway, Wandon North. For more information or to register, go to happyhandsart.com.au forward slash happyhearts or contact Patricia on 0425 854 516. That's 0425 854 516. Happy Hearts. Free fun for kids and the mess stays with us. Forgiveness. It's easier said than done. But there's a program called Forgive to Live, designed to help us all improve our lives and discover the healing power of forgiveness. So if you're keen to take that first step, head to forgivetolive.org.au. Show to us. 